0: So we've sown some distrust some distrust in our normal thinking and in our normal system and i think that that's important i think it's important to have distrust in um, your initial reflexive thinking and it's important to have some distrust when you are absolutely certain of something uh, maybe certainty is especially a place where your distrust and um, skepticism should be triggered Where you stop and say, wait a minute, if I'm so certain, what is it that uh, am I missing? Because there are holes. There are holes in your knowledge. There are holes in your experience. There are holes in what you have read. And there are holes in the fact that the information that you have has aged since you acquired it. That, uh, That if the whole world is changing and nothing is fundamentally unchangeable, then you have to realize that the information that you got a long time ago is um, out-of-date or is built on um, the structures of of out-of-date thinking and out-of-date social standards is what it comes down to. And people want to hold on to these things and uh, they decry cancel culture for trying to get things to change, you know, if Mr. Potato Head is just Potato Head because you can dress it however you want to and make it be uh, any of a numerous genders and somehow this is threatening to, to people who have uh, you know, metastasized into their gender a long time ago for, for some reason and it's going to teach their kids how to you know worship Satan or whatever it is. You have to stop yourself and respect the fact that the world has changed and that you need to change with it and change your ideas with it and check your ideas and not just rely on what you feel is certainly true. This is easier said than done. Something that I try to remind uh, my students of, for example, is that when they're working on a paper, they're working on on an essay or a short story or a novel or a research paper, that this is their paper, that they're the writer. And that if you are going to feel accomplished and you're going to feel like you've learned from this experience you have to be the one making the calls and that goes for the fact that if i'm reading your paper and i say "Ooh, change this or change that or um, check out what you're doing here and, and maybe that's wrong and i i remind students uh, that they should listen to what i say they should consider what i say that i have this nice fancy piece of paper that sits in my office that explains that I'm an expert but that beyond having a fancy piece of paper that explains that I'm an expert in writing that this is something I've been doing for a really long time and it's an experience that I have and uh, that that does grant me some level of authority especially where I see something that you may have written or that is confusing or that isn't clear or that can be improved upon if something's just not working for me um, I'm probably right about that, is, is what it comes down to. Is as a uh, very skilled and experienced reader of, of these things, I'm, I'm probably right that something's a little bit off somewhere if, if it's not clear or uh, feels muddled or could be made um, more effective. Now, as to how to fix that, it's up to you to listen to me or not. I'm just one of your resources. Because the fact that I've been doing this for 20 years Uh, gives me a sufficient enough uh, basis of experience that I've dealt with a lot of issues, but there's one thing I haven't dealt with, and that's your paper and you and what you're trying to do here. And you need to consider that because chances are I haven't. Chances are as hard as I might try, I am going to rely on the tools which come most easily to me as a thinker because I'm doing a job. Because I have anywhere from 150 to 200 students a semester and that I have on numerous pages of paper and story and uh, everything else you can imagine uh, to, to read through, um, I'm not always going to call upon that system two thinking to come up with a new and fresh notion of, that speaks to me and you about your writing process that most often even i who understands my uh at least on an intellectual level my fallibility in bringing out the best in your writing is going to rely on on what i've done before now i would say that probably five years into this that wasn't quite as true but 20 years into it it's pretty hard not to see um patterns And not to see, oh, you know what's worked for students in the past is when they do this, um, and uh, to fall back on, on my experience. I have long said that my goal as a writing teacher was to bring out what is best in you, what is best in your process. And that is my goal. But realize that it's Tuesday or whatever and I'm really busy, and I have hundreds and hundreds of pages to get through, and my most alive and hooked up creative thinking is not always going to come up with the right solution. But I, I tend to be really good at finding problems, and I can make some suggestions. So then you get your paper back, if, if you're a student of mine, and you look over where I where I gave you my sort of Um, process of of reading your paper and listening to what you have to say and you say, huh, this dude says this is unclear, Um, maybe it is, but I might feel like I had some great, bright idea as to how to fix it, you know, oh, show us this, or do that, or start later or something, and maybe it is a bright idea and maybe it'll strike you as like something fresh and something inherent to your work and hopefully so, in that case we're working together and that's nice. But in other cases, you might read what I have to say and say, oh, okay, he, he didn't get it. He missed what I was trying to say so entirely that uh, his suggestion was, was um, ridiculous or absurd or um, insulting or whatever. Because it's your paper. You're the one who has to make the decision. So you, I, I point out an issue. I make a suggestion. Now it's up to you to take the reins and move forward with it because you have to realize that I am working in a field where I feel certain, and I don't have always at my fingertips the time to question that certainty. Uh, Though the willingness may be there, that is a uh, a very high energy uh, process of paper grading and um, that even I will, will do what I can to make that as a smooth and efficient process so I can get through Tuesday. Now, I'm not just calling myself out here. I'm I'm trying to demonstrate that we fall back on what is comfortable. And we fall back on the tools that we've used. That we walk that same path every single day and that's why the carpet gets worn right there or the grass gets worn right there or whatever and that's happening in our minds. That happens in our minds uh, in probably even a more pronounced way than it happens in our yards with our grass. Um, that our neural pathways get closer and closer together the more we use that same path, that, that, the more that um, electric impulse and firing of glucose goes across the same neural connection, the closer together those two um, parts grow, and the faster and easier it is to fall back on those processes. So you have to try and shake that up. You have to try to shake that up by applying the fact that uh, you know that you're not always going to be right. You know that you're fallible. You know that information has changed. You know you're missing something. And uh, you have to weigh the risks and benefits. If you're grading uh, 200 papers today, um, then uh, which nobody does, but that's a lot. Um, if you're grading a lot that day, uh, the risks and benefits are that you can, you, you can make some, some rote suggestions. No problem. But if you're making a life decision or you're making an emotional decision or you're making a business decision that a lot is writing on, uh, you don't want to rely on that feeling of certainty because that feeling of certainty can be deceptive. And then what's going to happen later on is, is, is uh, if you're proven wrong or something doesn't go right and uh, it falls back on the fact that you were just sure this was going to work, you were just sure this was the right move to make, whatever, um, then you're more likely to defend it because you didn't question that certainty. Because now you've um, internalized that certainty and internalized that decision and internalized that action to be part of your identity to be part of who you are and it ain't it's not who you are it's not your identity but you you turn it into that in the same ways that we've been talking about through this process of cognitive dissonance when the dissonance arises you will fall back on some form of excuse but listen, maybe you're making a decision and you're tired. Maybe you're making a decision and, and you're a little impaired. You didn't get enough sleep that night or you, uh, you know, got too much exercise and didn't bring in enough calories or whatever. You could be off balance. And that certainty will, will be uh, hardwired into your being just as much. Uh, despite the fact that it wasn't as certain as you could have been. Now You didn't consider alternatives. So what I'm talking about is is that we've we've sort of looked extensively at this notion of scientific thinking, of scientific skepticism, and stepping outside of yourself and your experience and uh, your um, different implicit biases to discover something new or to discover some um, fact rather than a feeling or a belief. Those are all great tools. But the truth of the matter is that for most of us in any given day, we are not faced with a decision of whether or not we are going to believe in the earth being flat or round. That we're not going to be faced with um, believing in an alternative or real set of facts in any given day. That instead, what we're going to have is an infinite number of um, seemingly um, very similar decisions to make. You might have a desi- design decision to make, a strategic decision to make, a family decision to make, and these things might not have an optimal outcome. There might not be one decision that's just obviously better than another. And it could be that you could test this somehow a hundred times and find that there was no perfect decision, that, that the logo you were going to go with for your business, say, um, was going to turn off just as many people as it turned on, no matter which one you picked, no matter which designer you went with. Or uh, that your your family vacation to uh, Scotland, you're never going to know the weather six months ahead of time, and you can't plan for that so you have a different set of of averages to pay attention to and and, uh, considerations to make and how big of a bag can we bring um, depending on how things turn out at that time of year you need a system you need a system to approach this stuff where you don't rely on system one uh, processing and you don't rely on uh, that notion of certainty when you have a gut reaction. And there's a number of things to go with. There's a number of ways to disrupt the thought. And disruption is really, to me, uh, probably the most important element. You, You may have noticed over the course of all of these little talks of mine that what I'm most concerned with is disrupting what you think of right now. And what I'm most concerned with as a teacher is to disrupt what my students think they know. I want them to question it. I want them to feel unconfident. I want them to unlearn what it is they think they've learned most of the time, because disruption leads to creativity. Um, there's all sorts of metaphors we could we could dive into here, and wouldn't that be exciting? Uh, but I'm I'm also trying to to shore this up and and stay concrete. Um, so, this is me holding onto my halter real tight. You have to apply different systems of thinking and you have to do this intentionally. There's a really great guidebook for this, as it turns out, written by Ed Debono. Ed De is a, a cognitive researcher and um, one of the leading, at um, least philosophers on thinking though he didn't do a lot of scientific or laboratory research about thinking uh, he did do a lot of very practical um, writing about what it means to think and what it means to think well and he has this book that's called um, six thinking hats and the idea here is to imagine in a a group that's making a decision uh, be it a business or be it a family or be it you and your friends or be it you that You have six different colored hats that you're going to put on when tackling a decision. And these different color hats uh, correspond with different magnitudes of thinking. The idea is to separate all of these elements out. Because all of these six elements are going to hit. And man, if you've been in a meeting you've seen this stuff play out time and time again where it feels like you're getting towards a decision and then somebody else brings something else up from a different angle and you're there for the rest of the day and you're you know late for your dinner plans or whatever so he has these six different color hats that he says that you should adopt and that you should not have six different people each wearing a different color hat everyone wears the color hat at a time so for example white hat everybody puts on their white hat and at that point Everybody is thinking as neutrally and objectively as they can. They're paying attention to the facts. You're looking at numbers. You're looking at the knowns. And you're trying to be um, unemotional and not rely on personality and not rely on uh, charisma or anything else like that. That you're looking at just the facts and figures of whatever issue it is you're trying to tackle. That usually gives us a nice baseline for what it is that we're thinking about. Let's say you're thinking about moving from, uh, you know, San Diego to Carlsbad or, or whatever, and um, you have to think about the pros and cons and whatnot. Starting with a white hat's a really good idea. What does rental prices look like? Um, what's your commute look like? Um, wh- what is the obvious and literal truth of your situation? You move on to the red hat, and that's the emotional view. How do you feel about it? Because whether or not you, you can't filter this out, you cannot filter your emotion out from a decision. You cannot filter it out from a business decision. You can't filter it out from a money decision. You can't filter it out from a family decision. We might say we do. We might say, oh, it's just business. It's nothing personal. But you can't take that away. It's going to pop up. If you don't address it, then it will come back. So what you have to do is intentionally address it and intentionally look at the emotional impact of this. Whose feelings are going to be hurt if we do this? How do you feel about living at this place rather than living at this place? How do you feel about us making this move at this time? What emotions do you have to deal with? And Red Hat's nice. It seems intense. Uh, can deal with with anger. You can deal with with. Um, Uh, sensitivity, you can deal with uh, all the little things that are going to pop up in this conversation one way or the other. Who's feeling slighted by this decision one way or the other? Usually somebody is. The black hat. The black hat is the cautious hat. It's the devil's advocate. It's the what if. It's the, uh, you know, let's take a moment here and consider. um, There's fear involved with with the black hat usually. And if you've been in a meeting uh, with a group of people, you probably know someone who always has that black hat on and that they have a tendency to play devil's advocate to the point to where it feels like you're never going to get anywhere. We're always considering that point of view. It always pops up. And uh, caution uh, can make us be very wary about doing something rather than not. And the reason for that is that when we look back and regret things, Um, we usually regret what it is that we've done more than times that we didn't do things. It's very easy to look back and say, oh my gosh, if I didn't do this, that wouldn't have happened. And uh, especially if it's something abnormal, um, regret hits hardest when we did something that didn't work out, rather than when we didn't act on a thing. So, consider that. And uh, consider the cautious take. Consider the devil's advocate. And then when when you have, take that hat off. Leave it alone for a minute. So the yellow hat is, uh, you know, we associate this with a sunny, happy disposition. You want to look at the positive side. What if this works out? What if this is the best idea? What great things could happen if everything goes right here? There's no reason to leave optimism out because it's optimistic. People have a tendency to do this in their life and in their business and in their school and everything else. But optimism's great. Optimism helps you enjoy things. It helps you feel confident about decisions that you make. So allow yourself that optimism and put on the yellow hat. And look at what the good things are here. The green hat, uh, which you can think of as as growth, as um, fertility, um, is uh, what creative and new ideas might this yield? Look especially at um, lateral thinking. If you look back at episode 9 of season 1 of uh, these lectures, then you'll see that I devoted a whole thing to lateral thinking. The idea is to consider alternatives. The idea is to intentionally disrupt your normal thinking with the green hat. The green hat wants to look at creativity. It wants to look at alternatives. It wants to look at reframing the problem, reframing the situation, and uh, questioning the boundaries that have started this situation, questioning the relevance of the atmosphere uh, from which this situation derives. So, how old is this problem? Um, what what world was this solution built to address? What sort of um, social uh, biases is entangled with this problem? Question these things. Uh, because our social biases change over time. And if you're dealing with something that was rooted in the first half of the 20th century, chances are it's, it's well-rooted in, in, in racism and sexism and gender phobia and all sorts of things. And uh, it's, it's time to, to address those things, and whatever your problem is. So the green hat is um, it's, a, it's a fun hat. It's a challenging hat. Because a lot of people don't come to a thinking group um, such as a, a, a meeting or a collaboration, um, ready to address the uh, fundamental um, nature of things. But, uh, but creativity insists on growth and insists on, on um, intentionally changing tracks, on intentionally stepping away from normal associations and towards something new. So the green hat's a great tool. And the last tool is the blue hat. The blue hat is the organization hat. This is the color hat that you put on when it's time to figure out exactly what steps you would want to take, exactly what sort of system you'd want in place, the timing. Um, it's it's uh, organization because it's like the sky is blue and it's everything's under the sky. Um, sort of sort of oversees everything. You can switch back and forth between these hats, and. You can stop yourself by saying, "Oh, wait a minute! I'm really getting into my red hat here. I'm really getting into my my cautious hat. I'm really getting into my emotional hat. Um, uh, you know, I need a little bit more green hat thinking to make this work." Or, uh, you know, if you're feeling tense and anxious about a decision, you know, put on your yellow hat for a little bit. Remind yourself that 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 the worst case scenario doesn't always work out so this is you know a a really intentional way of addressing a problem of addressing um anything from like a school assignment thinking about topics for a school assignment thinking about topics for a creative project thinking about um, life-changing topics uh, because the decisions that we make aren't just for us right now the decisions that we make in our life very often have to do with um your 25-year-old self, your 30-year-old self, your 40-year-old self, your 60-year-old self, all of these versions of you going forward. Now, that's a lot to put on something, uh, for sure. But relationships are that way. Friendships are that way. Creative projects can be that way. They're not always. Sometimes a creative project just kind of comes and goes. Um, But all of these things, you know, lead uh, forward. You can't go backwards on anything. So most decisions deserve this kind of gravity one way or the other. And uh, especially when you are absolutely certain, you want to push that pause button, step back and try on a couple different thinking hats. Approach it from these different angles. Don't edit yourself, but go forward. Um, Collaborative groups are good for this. I keep mentioning that because most of us, especially we intellectuals like myself, like to think on our own uh, we really do um, we, we even get jealous when other people are uh, smart around us you know much less attracting praise um, that can really uh, bother our sense of self and uh, you have to put yourself there you have to put yourself um, willingly to, to do this if um, you expect others to be vulnerable to you you need to be vulnerable too and for intellectual people that means working with a team sometimes and uh, listening to what other people have to say and, 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 and trying to see its value and trying to offer that praise. Um, because uh, collaborative groups can get thinking done differently. And difference is key to, to, to success. Much of the time. You can't just do what's been done before a hundred times and expect that this time it's going to be different. Well, you know, sometimes that works out, but you can't count on it. So approaching things with an open mind and having a group of people, I actually think it's a good idea to have a thinking club, um, a group of friends who works well together, and think about stuff. Think about, like, different ways to, to um, you know, make a living, different ways to earn money, different ways to... Um, to live different living conditions um you know renting and buying and and uh rooming together and that kind of stuff and 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 try to step away from the narrow structures that are offered to us because if you haven't noticed those aren't working out real well for a lot of us these days everything from school to uh jobs to pay um to careers don't work out the same way for us as, as it did for, for my parents, as it did for my grandparents. And there's not a lot of indication that things are approaching a, a, a better way. So navigating the way is uh, creativity is, might end up being key for you. And having an intentional, systematic way to approach the thinking on these dis- major decisions Um might open some doors. And they might change the way that you work and change the way that you see the world and change the way that you interact uh, with the world. And, and um, that's probably a good thing. Because if you're not changing, uh, you get left behind. The things that don't change just aren't, they're not relevant. Change is constant. And I, I, I know that's cliche but you have to remember we are in a changing world and trying to establish or identify what is not changing is, is foolish.